to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your producer and host, Ben Finan, Director of Content at Steinway & Sons, and Editor-in-Chief of the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is Ann Mancelli, owner and operator of Jungle City Studios in New York City, studio director at Sanctuary Studios in the Bahamas, and the longtime recording engineer for Alicia Keys. And you wear a lot of hats, but most often your most worn hat is that of recording engineer. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's correct. Tell our listeners what a recording engineer does and maybe how that differs from a producer. I think in some cases, especially these days, it all crosses into each other. I think a good engineer is a great producer. I think a great engineer as far as being technical and having to know software and hardware and outboard gear, especially for the type of artist that I work with who dives into the technology but also loves to be retro. You have to have a lot of depth into the gear that you learn and knowledge. It's not just about knowing a piece of software and being quick with it. It's about the depth of knowing several pieces of equipment and consoles but I do think, you know, I was very technical as an engineer, and I do think the gifted engineers that are out there are very creative. You know, every session is different, and I've been working with Alicia for a very long time, and we collaborate. You know, my role with her is very unique, and it's one that is very creative as we're painting the sonic picture of making each album, as she has a vision for each album. Every artist is different. But for engineering, it's all the technical things you would expect and being able to go from studio to studio and adapt and learn the twists and turns of technology over time as it changes so quickly. But at the same time, being creative, it's like being a video director or anything else. It's really, you're one of one. Mm -hmm. It's not just about being quick with Pro Tools and Quick Keys. It's about using the crayons in the crayon box of all the gear and software and plugins that you own. And I always say that's the difference in being an engineer than being a producer. You know, even these days, producers engineer. They engineer now, right? And yeah. engineers produce now at all crossfades with each other. So there's different depths of knowledge that you need depending on who you work with, right? In a traditional sense, yeah, the role of an engineer is to make sure we're recording everything and you have all of your files and sessions and you're getting the artist's vision of each song and using your gear to be crayons in a crayon box or, you know, color on a, a whiteboard or, you know, that's how I see engineering, you know? You and I came up with tape doing reel-to-reel. -reel. I remember working for KCBS News Radio, slicing and splicing tape with yep. razor blades, right? Yeah, and there was no undo, right? Like That's it. You had to make sure you had safety copies. And I think we've all been through one instance in our careers where it's like we messed a punch up or we did an edit wrong. And it's like, well, we prayed there was a backup safety somewhere, right? And so that led to, you would have these racks of gear and then that gear turned virtual. Like I'm thinking of reason and logic. There's been a huge shift. And sometimes, you know, let's say if I'm watching YouTube videos, 
I'll get these ads because they know me. They know what I'm working with. They know what I'm buying. And I'll get ads for loops bundles or for plugins. And it's some guy with a beat and he's usually got some kind of like London or UK garage <laughs> accent. Yeah, there's a lot of sample packs these days that are out there. I make my own that I don't sell from old drum machines to being at a studio, bringing all of our drum kits, hiring one of our session musicians and Alicia giving us the sounds that she wants us to recreate. But yeah, there's all of the twists and turns, but sometimes it's like people get into a habit and pattern of using those stock sounds from Reason or Apple. You know, Apple has, I forget their version of it. They had Apple libraries at one point and you could tell that almost everyone was using the same samples and things start to sound the same. So it's like, I always try to challenge people to be a little bit better than that, right? Try to develop and make your own tones, right? Your own sounds. Um, That's how I dive and dig in. But yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a hybrid. I still use that old analog gear along with the new sample packs or along and I'm distorting or coloring things in my own way, you know, or trying to build my own libraries and trade people for sounds. And there's a whole underground scene that's out there that we all trade each other. I love using software like that because it connects the consumer and prosumer into what we do. And years ago, that wasn't the case. You had to really get into a studio, right? To learn recording and learn editing and learn mixing and learn producing. Where nowadays kids can be at home with Ableton and they're asking their parents for, you know, an Ableton push for Christmas. And I think that's incredible, right? And then there's a point where you get where in your bedroom that you have to get beyond that, you know? Right. So I guess that's where I was kind of getting to is that I know that you are beyond loops. You're not putting together loops and samples and being like, that's it. There's also some organic invention and getting out there on actual instruments and combining these things with the digital. Yeah. I mean, the way Alicia makes a record sometimes can be very like, okay, I want to record my vocal and piano at the same time. And I've got to capture that magic. And there's an emotion there that you get when she sings and plays at the same time that you wouldn't get even if you separated Theoretically, you would record the piano and then sing the vocal separately, right? In a studio environment, we play with all the ways to make a record. So it's always live drums over program drums. It's like we have a click, but she might make the drummer play 16 bars and there's a swing to those 16 bars where it's human and it's the human element that we love. We try to really recreate the records that we loved in the 60s in terms of how they recorded and the concepts of them. And we take a little bit of that into what we do today. There's some producers that just look at the grid and Pro Tools or Logic, and they're just lining their drums up, putting music together like a puzzle. And we try to really not do that because we want it to feel real and we want our tracks to have emotion behind them. And it's a lot more difficult to do because it's easy to sit and copy and paste as opposed to playing with a 16-bar loop and the tempo drifts within that 16 bars. In terms of using session musicians, we use them every day, and we try not to copy and paste. We had one guitarist come in and tell us, oh, well, just copy the first chorus to the second chorus. And we're like, no, we don't want to do that. You know, We want you to play it, even if it's the same. It's a different 
Uh, yeah, you want the shades. The velocities are different, right? Yeah, like yeah. From your finger hitting the guitar pick or um, or your finger hitting the fret, you know? So there's all these variables that we're thinking about that gets lost in the technology, if that makes sense. It does. Was a dollar and a chance Find, find what I'm made of Alright Coming, coming from the bottom Better learn how to dance Find, find what you're made of Alright Feel like my love is wasting Every day, yeah It's so damn tired of chasing Every day, yeah And now it's you I'm missing Okay, so let's stay with Alicia Keys. Let's say you're doing a day in the studio with Alicia. How much is written before she gets into the studio? How much is determined at the studio? How much is improvised, fleshed out? What happens? What's the order of operations? There's no rules. You know, it depends who she's collaborating with, what writer, what producer. She'll come in. She has a very specific vibe to, let's say, the album we're working on right now. She first meets with the writer and producer and tries to get them comfortable and give them insight on kind of what she's looking for, right? Where her thoughts are for the record and plays maybe eight to 10 tracks that she worked on already. And then it's understanding how that producer or writer works. Could it be just on behind a piano and you're focusing on writing a song or is it the producer that's coming in that she wants to work with where they're more technology based? It's a tough balance, right? Because a lot of times she doesn't want to sit there and work on like an 808 for eight hours. She wants to write the songs. And sometimes it's a balance of even having to tell the producer, like, go do this later. Let's write the song. Let's work on production. You have your time with her. Utilize it the right way. And everyone that comes in is different. You know, everyone programs with a different software these days. Hmm. Everyone uses different musicians and everyone has a different process. And she's really hip to adjusting to that. She could pull up her moves. She has her own Pro Tools rig that houses all of her synths and Mm -hmm. virtual keyboards. And I have my rig that's basically like a tape machine, right? And it (laughs) allows us to work together. So it sounds too like you don't want technology to get in your artist's way. Is that part of it? Yeah, she loves technology. She has all these old, the new Moog line, and she has mm-hmm. all the David, Dave Smith instruments. And she's really retro futuristic at the same time. She's bringing a drummer in and a guitar player and mixing it all together. And there's always a balance between the both. There's no rules. You know, a lot of producers work one way, and she's the type of, she's a writer a piano player, a vocalist, an arranger, a producer. So she likes to collaborate because it's hard to get in the studio and have to wear all of those hats. That's why she brings collaborators in or writers in sometimes to help her. It's always nice to have, you know, to add elements into what you're doing and with writers and producers. But the beauty is she has such a depth to producing in a traditional way too, where it's like, A lot of new producers that come in, they come in with their hard drive and their songs are done already. She doesn't want that. She wants to make some new song from scratch. So it's tricky. There's 
folks that make beats. There's producers that are a little more traditional. Then you have the hybrid of the two, but I find that she works best with the producers that can do both. They can sit and program and make tracks, but then sit with her and arrange and play chord changes and change arrangements. And, you know, you have to really understand that component, you know, because she's a musician, right? She's wants her songs to evolve, you know? And you're a musician as well. What was your first instrument and what instruments do you play? I started on piano and my two main instruments that I play today are uh, guitar and bass. I study for a long time with Carlos Alomar and I hope to get back with him because I always feel that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just students of the game. And <laughs> I play guitar as a hobby. Yeah. I have a collection of over 45 guitars and they all help me with the tone that I'm going for. I look at them as crayons in a crayon box and I collect amplifiers. I have everything from two rock amps to an old Gibson EH-150, one of the first guitar amps from like 1937. So I use them all, not only on guitars, but I use them on um, a lot of Alicia's keyboards, like the clavies and the whirlies that I want to throw through a guitar amp and maybe put a guitar pedal on. The other thing is that I have a whole collection of bass amps that I love. I just bought Carol Kay's old bass amp, and I have a B-15 bass amp from Jess Oliver, who made the patent of the B-15 from 67 to 69. He worked for uh, Ampegs. I'm a huge collector of gear, and so is Alicia, and it's just like crayons in a crayon box. We try to pull things out, you know, when we need it and not overdo things because we have the ability to have all this gear. There's times when we just sit and learn, like she'll bring Dave Smith in and she's just learning how to program her keyboards. And then there's times where you can't get caught up with that when you're in the middle of a session. So right. we learn how to separate it all. Like some days we dig in the crates and pull up drum machines, you know, and, and samples and figure out what we like. We've learned through the years how to like balance it all and separate it all so we can make sure we're doing the pre-production, make sure we're utilizing our time correctly when we have famous writers and producers coming in. And, you know, you learn that, right? Like as you go on. Do you sneak in some guitar and bass onto tracks? Very rarely. <laughs> Very rarely, but once in a while, yes. You're a, a stand-in session musician when you have to be. Yeah, very, very, very rarely. But I'm getting more into producing, back into producing and producing my own drum sounds. And so like, I find myself crossing over a lot into producing. And the way that me and Alicia collaborate is very unique. Because she's taking all the music back after these producers are working on it and still arranging and adding to it. And she co-produces every one of her songs. So darling, listen, your arms around me worth more than a kingdom. Yeah, I believe that. The trust that we feel, the kings never felt that. This is the song we sing We don't need anything They can't afford this This is priceless Can't afford what we got Not even the king Can't afford what we got Not even the king
you have Steinways in both of the studios that you work in, in Jungle City in New York and in your studio in the Bahamas. We're talking about loops, we're talking about samples, we're talking about synths. Why do you have these organic instruments there? Yeah, I think every studio has a piano. What would a studio be without a classic piano? And for us, we are a staple in New York, and so is Steinway. And it was just really important. And Ron Losby has been, from before day one, a supporter of Jungle Studios. And all the depth of the sessions we get that come in, first of all, um, are incredible, from Broadway to, you know, shooting movies. So we have to have a piano accessible at all times to all of our artists that come in and they get used every day. They get a lot of airplay. People love to see them in the rooms. They're taking photos with them. Everyone from Jennifer Lopez to Lil Uzi is on our pianos taking photos. We just did a 10th anniversary Steinway wrapped in red. It looks really nice and uh, everyone's excited. Yeah, I think a piano is a staple to making music. Even people that don't play will sit behind a piano and say, wow, I just created this loop or I just made something. And isn't that the beauty of it? Like with technology and stuff, there's a beauty to like, I could do this. I could play a couple of chords and make music. And that's the beauty is to have the hybrid, you know, and I wanted to follow tradition and tradition in every studio is the first thing you see is, is a piano. You wouldn't be legit (laughs) if you didn't have a piano in your studio. And then on the flip side of that, you know, you see that for the past year or so, I've been really pushing Steinway. Everything Alicia's been doing right now in our content homes, they've been a huge resource for us, providing pianos, wrapping pianos, really supporting us during a very hard time where we took pianos to the Joshua Tree. We took pianos, you know, into all these locations. They had the ability and resources to allow us to wrap them and tune them and no matter where we were. It's been great to expand on that. And you've seen them in some really classic situations on TV from everything from, you know, Mercedes commercials to iHeart to everything we've done. That's interesting to hear that the piano is kind of the whiteboard of the 21st century music studio where people sit down and still try to literally play out their ideas. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of sessions. We had about three years ago, Ariana Grande was in making a record and she sat on a piano in the roads. And, you know, that's how the ideas happen, right? Even for Alicia, it's like, what sparks inspiration? And I believe having a piano in in your room really sparks that. changed with Jungle City over the 10 years that you've been in operation? We've just been able to evolve due to the location of the studio and the business model of the studio. It's way beyond just traditional, let's make a record. 
We're doing movie shoots. We're doing photo shoots. And the location of the facility with all the windows and the rooftop lends itself to a lot of other revenue streams and scenarios where Ray Donovan is shooting or CSI and they book our studio or we're doing really cool events. That's the beauty of it all, right? You can find all the different ways to book your spot. I think that's really important for your studio to have depth. We unveiled Apple Music to the world. They streamed for four years straight in our facility. They took over a whole floor for four years and streamed to 110 countries and unveiled what was their Apple streaming service. And we were able to help them set that all up. And it was very exciting and rewarding to watch someone a Puffy or a Drake finish a record and go and spin it to the world. You know, it's like a modern day Motown. You've got 10 years with Jungle City. What do you want to do in the next 10? I want to continue to grow and I want to continue to grow the industry as a whole. I think that there's so many ways that everything is cross-fading into each other. Where tradition has it back in the past, it was very like departmentalized. It's not like that anymore. And tech and music and studios are all integrating with each other, especially with the pandemic. I see having multiple locations for Jungle City. I see myself building the music community as a whole, doing some very exciting projects with Sony Music and Rob Stringer and the whole team to really build the music community and studio community back up. What that does is create jobs and it gets the next generation out of their bedrooms and and placed into positions once they're coming out of school and stuff. So I'm excited to really build the music community as a whole. And the depth of what I do in the industry is interesting. Like I'm not just an engineer. I deal with a lot of different businesses. I work on strategies with Alicia when it comes to album projects and her album project management, um, part of her team. And it's exciting to connect the dots with things like Apple and Spotify. And it all ties back into your studio and location. So I think there's no rules at the end of the day, right? And I think it's just really exciting to try and figure out what is the next best trend. And I think I have a lot of the stuff figured out and um, it's going to be hybrids and it's going to twist and turn, but I think that's a good thing. You know, I'm just really excited to continue and figure out all the different ways that we can have technology evolve, you know? For sure. For some of these young up and coming would be producers who are getting Ableton from their folks for Christmas. Yes. (laughs) What advice do you have for them? Learn the software, learn the depth of producing and engineering, and know that there's not just one way. Dive into the sounds and the virtual synths and the keyboards that run along with those programs, right? Build your little setup out, you know, get a great little microphone like an SM7 for 400 bucks or a great mic pre, you know, and you can be a little one-stop shop. You know, you can be at home really on YouTube learning a lot of this stuff, which, you know, Ben, like we didn't have that back in the day. We had to be cutting our teeth in real life scenario where nowadays there's so much tutorials and things like Pensado's Place and YouTube where you can watch videos of people actually there's user guides and stuff that we didn't really have, you know, so where you could have read a manual back in the day, but to actually watch someone give you an example of how to use something is powerful and prepare yourself. Look at who's doing what in the industry, who are the hot producers and check out what they're doing. And there's so much you could be doing at home and then pivot, get into a real life scenario with a studio or a producer where you can grow, right. And learn how they use their tools might be different than how you use your tools. And there's no right or wrong. So 
that's what I do every day. You know, I'm still a student, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips from Alicia Keys, Love Looks Better from the album Alicia, and Not Even the King and 101 from the album Girl on Fire, all on RCA Records. Our intro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Finan, editor-in-chief at listenmusicculture.com. Our outro music is Alicia Keys' Prelude to a Kiss from the album As I Am on RCA. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard or hit me on the gram at Soundboard Podcast. Subscribe to Soundboard on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, or wherever you pod your casts. Thank you for listening. But I can't explain Cause I'm so But that's a lonely road to travel and a heavy 